Hi friends, welcome to Happy Tears. I'm Brandon. And I am Nick, and this is Happy Tears, a podcast where two sensitive boys talk about the art that we love so much so that it often brings us to tears. To tears? <laughs> that it often brings us to tears. Today on the podcast, part one of our two-part deep dive into the career of one Fiona Apple. Fetch the Bolt Cutters took our pandemic-ridden lives by storm in April, and we thought this would be the perfect time to look back at a career that started with a bang in 1996 and has been, against all logic, just been getting better ever since. In this episode, we are going to cover some background info on Fiona and what the music landscape was like when she arrived, along with her first album, title, and second album, When the Pawn. Part one of our Fiona Apple deep dive starts right now on Happy Tears. All right, well... Nick, how have uh, have you been since we last spoke or recorded? I've been well. Uh, I've been on the road, took a little trip to our nation's capital of Washington, D.C. this last week for the 57th anniversary of the March on Washington, uh, which famously featured the I Have a Dream speech from Martin Luther King Jr. And we went and protested for Black Lives Matter in, in the... Capitol, and it was a very moving experience, but also a somewhat painful experience in terms of uh, there were a number of speakers, obviously, and there were uh, many of them spoke of hope, many of them spoke of change, many of them spoke of specific action that needs to be taken, but many also spoke of pain, uh, specifically the pain of the black community. And to go there and be in that place and hear those messages was very moving and inspiring but also saddening to think of where we are today and so i've been good i'm inspired i'm, I'm ready to get to work it's good to be reminded of what i guess what's at stake at times and what uh what's worth fighting for i mean we usually talk about our happy tears since we last recorded um i imagine you had some on on the trip yeah, I mean, definitely during the presentation, all of the speakers, I cried a number of times. I mean, there were tens of thousands of people there. I don't know the final tally. They were hoping up to 50,000 people would attend. Obviously, with COVID-19, who knows how many actually came out, but it I mean, it was a ton of people. And yeah, I cried in the crowd. Like I said, listening to the these stories and testimonies of black pain for hours on end. And then later that night, we lost... A man and a symbol in Chadwick Boseman, a.k.a. the Black Panther. And I happened to be alone at this point in the trip. We were in an RV at an RV park and my friends were out to dinner. And when that news hit, it just um, kind of broke me down. I was already kind of emotionally drained. And um, Chadwick Boseman is one of the great actors of our generation. And, you know, it's an incredible loss to think about what the Black Panther meant to our culture, specifically black culture and children in this era and, and the shining example of black excellence and, and black royalty and the story of a world of Africa that was not touched by colonialism 
it's just a powerful story, right? And to lose this wonderful actor who did incredible work throughout his career, playing Jackie Robinson, playing Thurgood Marshall, uh, playing... James Brown, too, right? James Brown and Get On Up. Um, and even in, in Spike Lee's latest movie. He's just incredible, and he was one of my favorite actors, and, and it's just a tragic loss. And and this, because it's so sudden, right, it just, it just like, takes all of the wind out of your sails. Mm-hmm. And so I, I wept like a baby for a long time Saturday night and several times since. Yeah, there's been some really uh, touching tributes as well. Seemed like an incredible human. So staying on that note, some of my emotional moments from the week came from uh, two musicians that we lost that I really loved. Justin Towns Earl was the first. He passed away. He was 38 years old. He was a uh, the son of Steve Earl, uh, who's kind of an icon in the outlaw country rock folk kind of scene and um and then justin was just a a great musician a great songwriter and i'd seen him several times and have great memories seeing him with several different friends so i went back and listened to a good amount of his albums again there's a song called mama's eyes in particular that is just uh so good so i was listening to that a lot and my mom uh i used to listen to him like with my mom a good amount as well and show her her videos. That was the first one, and then we had a, a local legend in uh, Riley Gale, lead singer of Power Trip, who uh, passed away suddenly at age 34, which was just a big hit to our community here. He's um, you know one of the bigger bands to come out of Dallas in a really long time, and so uh, I loved loved his music as well. So it was just uh, they came kind of one after the other, and that kind of piled on grief for people who you don't know but felt a connection to is it's always tough so I was listening to his and he has there's several live videos he just always seemed to give it give it his all and it seemed that he helped um other bands kind of coming up in the industry I don't know a lot of people had had great things to say about him and I know several people who who know him personally as well too so it's just a uh another sad loss but yeah it's just I don't know. It's just I'm just thinking about why we do this podcast. And, you know, you and I have such a reverence for artists and creators and people that inspire the best in humanity. And Mm -hmm. it just it just seems so incredibly cruel and unfair sometimes when people that add so much to the world, so much love and light. Absolutely. You know are taken too soon yeah, and so much of this year has been so painful already and and that's you know why for me specifically Chadwick was was such a huge loss right. and, but obviously you know both of those musicians it's just uh it, it, it it's just hard it hurts and, yeah um the only thing that to i don't know i don't know if i have a positive (laughs) 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 taking the inspiration taking their work and and making more right doing more of this doing more discussion and and uh admiring the people that make great things but also going out into the world with a mission and and trying to make the world a better place uh, with with art is is it I, I did leave DC with a somewhat renewed sense of purpose both from the protest but also in thinking about Chadwick Boseman's legacy and it is painful but it hopefully if if nothing else it it helps you remember how how limited our time here is 
how nothing is guaranteed and to uh, attack the world with our love. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, I was trying to pull in a a Fianna. Like attacking with love (laughs) is kind of like how some of these song sounds. I was trying to pull in a Fiona segue there, but it didn't happen. It seems so Fiona (laughs) to attack someone with love. Like she, it seems like someone that just like feels everything so deeply and is so intense, both in her music and her persona, (laughs) but also in her relationships. I'm, I'm with it. I get it. All right. We don't have to have to do it all smooth. We can, we can. Could be a little clunky. (laughs) Yeah, a little clunk. A little clunk in the trunk. Uh, All right. Well, let's attack the world with some love and direct it right now at uh, Fiona Apple. I got my feet on the ground and I don't go to sleep to dream. You got your head in the clouds. You're not at all what you seem. This mind, this body, and this voice cannot be stifled by your deviant ways. So don't forget what I'm told you. So... For me, I had never listened to Fiona Apple before this year. Not sure why. I mean, I definitely was kind of too young to be into it in 96. Yeah, yeah. Um, And I think just my personal musical tastes throughout my teenage years and stuff just steered me away from this style of music. I think most of her albums are still kind of challenging for me, and I really have to play it over and over to kind of wrestle with it and get a sense of what she's doing. But I'm so glad that we're doing this kind of deep dive because I doubt I ever would have on my own. And some of these albums are just mind-blowing. So really, Fetch the Bolt Cutters was my the first thing. I mean, it blew me away in April. And then now that we're doing this, I really love some of these albums. Yeah, so my personal experience with her albums. I know I've listened to all of them. I definitely haven't done this sort of uh, intentional listening with a critical ear or or trying to deep dive into her stuff. So mainly like a lot of her singles and a lot of some of the, like the back half of Tidal, I, I don't remember really any of these songs. So it was really cool going back for me. When I got into her was in 2012 when she released Idler Wheel, which is the album I'd listen, uh, definitely listened to most out of her first four albums. And I kind of worked my way backwards a little bit, but mainly listened to to Idler Wheel. And then, of course, when Fetch the Bolt Cutters came out, I listened to that and worked my way back some again because I was on a Fiona kick. But I'd say most familiar with Fetch the Bolt Cutters and Idler Wheel and looking forward to discussing these first couple albums with you this episode. So, Fiona Apple released her first album title in 1996 and promptly blew up, but previous to her early success, Brandon, tell me a little bit about the kind of state of music in the 90s. Who's popular? What's going on? Uh, lay it on me. Yeah, so at this point, uh, when Fiona releases her ap- her Apple and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> her when Fiona releases her album in uh, 96 Jay-Z had just released Reasonable Doubt MTV was popping for sure at that time uh, the Fugees had just uh, released the score back in February the Macarena the English remix version was a number one hit for 14 weeks and then Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill spent 10 weeks at number one but it was it was released in 95 and then a year later had kind of more success with the singles and stuff. But so we're, we're talking about Alanis Morissette, Jay-Z, people like Tori Amos was uh, someone that uh, 
had a kind of similar style to Fiona. So yeah, that's in terms of her contemporaries, those are the big names uh, of that time. And then of course, like I said, with the Fugees with the score. And back in 95, Fiona was 17 at the time and ended up giving this like three song demo tape to her friend Anna, who had then passed it on through someone she was babysitting for. And it made its way to Andrew Slater, who ended up becoming Fiona's manager. So they started recording this when she was, I think she was 17 when they were recording, and then 18 when they uh, actually released the album. So Andrew brought in people like John Bryan and drummer Matt Chamberlain, who has a huge list of credits um, from drumming for uh, people like Soundgarden, The Who, uh, Tori Amos, Morrissey, Kanye West, Bruce Springsteen, John Mayer, Frank Ocean, the list goes on. So definitely a hot drummer out in LA and they create this pretty incredible debut album. Yeah, so the, I think the main elements of her style come from her love of hip hop and jazz, right? Is that, are those like, if you had to pick like the, the main ingredient? Yeah, I feel like it's somewhere, I would say those and I think she talks about like old school singers that she loves, so... Definitely, like yeah, definitely jazz, but also, yeah, some classical composers and some of the great standard singers. But yeah, there's a definitely kind of a, a mix of all of those things that are really apparent in her style. So title, the year is 1996, Fiona Apple is 18, the first track is called Sleep to Dream. i tell you how I feel, but you don't care. I say tell me the truth, but you don't dare. You say love is a hell you cannot bear And I say give me my back and then go there for all I care I got my feet on the ground and I don't go to sleep to dream You got your head in the clouds, you're not at all what you seem This mind, this body and this voice cannot be stifled by your deviant Yeah, and Sleep to Dream is uh, the second single from this album. And I think it's pretty amazing how confident she sounds right out of the gate and how, I mean, this sounds like a seasoned musician who's been songwriting for years and years. And to me, at least, I, like it's it's hard to imagine me being 18 years old and <laughs> releasing something of this quality and depth and even just vocally have like having an individual style um, and delivery I think is pretty awesome you know the way we experience or we're experiencing this is we both were introduced to her through different albums and so um, I just I love thinking about being in the space where this was the first thing I heard from her and like you know like we were talking about the music that was coming out at the time and it just seemed very it's not placed in any, any particular genre and it doesn't have it's not like oh this was the trending thing so this is what she sounds like I mean I think she gets more singular kind of as she releases more albums but this coming from someone who's 18 and the first thing that she's releasing is just pretty stunning some of my favorite songs on this album are the like 
croony smoky lounge vibe exactly <laughs> you know songs like shadow boxer which was the first single released and even a song called slow like honey sensual. You talk about the confidence of her kind of coming in on that kind of upbeat, in-your-face bravado of Sleep to Dream, but there is even so much, like, if she's leaning forward in Sleep to Dream and she's in your face, she is leaning way back and slow like honey, well, yeah. but is still but, incredibly confident. Right, that's exactly right. It's very alluring, and slow like honey reminds me of, like, a spell. Like, she's right. pulling people in. Just the way her voice sounds, uh, the very first line of the track kind of makes you melt. And it's uh, the first lyric is, uh, you moved like honey in my dream last night, which I feel like is just so evocative. And what I've noticed about her, I feel like she catches you on the first lyric of the song. Like she's a lyrical genius, but a lot of songs start with something that just kind of makes your uh, jaw drop. Slow like honey, heavy. But even the song, The First Taste, is one of my absolute favorite songs on this album. And that first line, I lie in an early bed thinking late thoughts. She's definitely a lyrical genius, and her mastery of imagery is so profound. She's just able to paint a picture in a way that I feel like only the best writers of any medium can. I mean, yeah. she, she really is in a, a masterful class. Yeah, and a lot of these songs kind of have, I mean, they have a mature nature to them in sound and have like, like you are saying, there's some jazzy elements and kind of R&B elements. Like this song uh, that you were talking about, The First Taste kind of has a Sade vibe to it. And the things she's talking about are still things she's experiencing as like a teenager um, and kind of coming of age relationship things and some also some uh, some pretty heavy content on here as well things she experienced at a young age. It just seems like someone who's seasoned, like a seasoned songwriter already and someone who just has an incredible confidence to them in their delivery and their songwriting. And this was much the reaction in 1996, right? Like so many people there were praises and criticisms of her but the consensus was how can someone so young 
do this. Yeah. <laughs> Both in a positive and negative way, right? How can someone so young have this unique voice that sounds like a wiser, older, more mature person that's that's got a more developed brain? But also there were the criticisms of the kind of mature sexually explicit content of some of the music specifically the song criminal big hit it's her biggest song to date and the music video directed by mark romanek was racy it features fiona in this scene of a uh kind of almost drugged in sex party i don't know i mean she is often clad in lingerie there's shots of her in a in a bathtub with like a man's feet dangled around her there were a lot of criticisms of an 18 year old girl singing about and looking so sexual yeah i mean i think along with that came some like you could tell that she's just a very sensitive person someone who feels things intensely kind of all of these emotions kind of feel like they're whether it's longing or frustration or anger everything is just seems like it was felt deeply and so i think it comes across in criminal as well but it's funny uh, a fun fact about that one is that it's she wrote it in like 45 minutes because yeah because yeah, they needed like a, a hit for the album or whatever <laughs> her style it's it's interesting because you can kind of see her as someone who has these uh elements of like kind of a pop star but a lot of her music it has qualities to it that it doesn't it's not it didn't like blast off in the pop realm or anything like a lot of these songs get stuck in your head but they all have like really unique chord progressions or things that big pop songs don't always have. They kind of stick to a, more of a formula. And a lot of these are just like wildly creative albums. And so it's really interesting seeing just the different elements of her music and her personality and everything and how they've kind of developed over the years. You know, she released this at a time when feminist pop stars that wasn't a trend yet right now we have you know beyonce singing i woke up like this or who runs the world girls in the 90s a female singer songwriter who does her own thing and doesn't give a fuck about the industry and doesn't really play like a pawn in the game of promotion and and the way the music industry works i don't know if it created a divide but definitely friction some yeah, audience, some audiences, some critics definitely were not ready for that in a way that I think if a Fiona Apple-type artist comes out now, I think they fit right in with, yeah. the, with the landscape of how we expect a pop artist to be. Yeah. But also, I think it did create this very cult following, specifically of, of young women, that saw a little bit of themselves in Fiona, right? Someone who's not afraid to speak their mind, to stand up for themselves, and even though she gets labeled either a bitch or someone that's impossible to work with or crazy, which many critics accused her of. Right. She did become somewhat of a galvanizing artist with a very loyal fan base that really kind of had her back early. And to be fair, the music was also 
undeniable, right? Most of the people that criticized her actions, her persona, also said, but the music is so damn yeah. good. <laughs> now we're at the point in 2020 when Fetch the Bolt Cutters drops and everyone is just like, yeah, Fiona, she's she's a legend yeah. and this is incredible. Yeah. Um, I think it, it's, it's interesting because she does have a way in with, because there is like this alternative rock nature to her sound as well. So there's, like we said, Alanis Morissette is big at the time. And then people like other big female musicians in the alternative rock world, people I'm thinking like Jewel or like I said with Tori Amos were bigger at this time. But so I think she was able to, with this kind of alternative rock, jazzy R&B vibe, was able to come up on the scene and a song like criminal got big but like you were saying content wise uh, like uh, uh, there was some clashes there and and with her vma speech right so so she wins best new video for criminal right and she goes up on stage and gives this uh this speech that kind of fuels even further that kind of fire of criticism right so what i want to say is um, everybody out there that's watching, everybody that's watching this world, this world is bullshit. And you shouldn't model your life. Wait a second. You shouldn't model your life about what you think that we think is cool and what we're wearing and what we're saying and everything. Go with yourself. Go with yourself. And then she doesn't go on to, to release an album for a few more years. And it seemed like that criticism continued a bit and died down enough to where... Uh, once we reach win the pawn, people are ready for uh, another Fiona craze. Absolutely. So I went to Reddit, to the Fiona Apple subreddit, to ask some fans, you know, what their favorite lines or songs were. I kind of phrased it like, what what are the underrated things? Like, what are the ones that I would miss if I'm not a diehard fan? Reddit user I Hear Decay gave me this line from The Child Is Gone, which is a song that I thought was fine, but after, you know, sometimes when you read a lyric, it just clicks into place in your brain. Yeah. And now I, I really appreciate that song, but the lyric is, Darling, give me your absence tonight. Take the shade from the canvas and leave me the white. Darling, give me your absence tonight. Take the shade from the canvas and leave me the white. Let me sink in the silence that echoes inside. And don't bother. Again, that's her turn of phrase. Imagery, the way, yeah. God. Another song from Reddit. User Neil Apollo loves this line. But he washed me ashore, and he took my pearl and left an empty shell of me. I think that's from Sullen Girl. Correct. Yeah. Washed me ashore, and he took my And really, 
that was my big takeaway from this album was some songs resonate with me more than others, right? But I'm not sure if there are any skips on this album just because every song has at least one little line that's just like, ooh, that was smart, or gosh, that's beautiful, or one instrumental riff, you know? Or outro. Or line delivery, right? Sometimes she'll just put a little flourish on on a certain line. Some songs are just incredible all the way through, but every song has something that I was able to kind of grab hold of and and wrestle with. Do you have a, a few favorites? The big ballad of the album, Never Is a Promise. It's funny, on that track, the way she sings in the, the chorus, like her vocal timbre and how kind of soft different parts of it. It reminds me of um, FKA Twigs. And it's interesting because I've never connected those two artists before, but I feel that they're more s- similar in, in some of the ways of like just really unique like vocal deliveries and, and the ways that they sing and being kind of in the middle of um, like pulling from different genres, making their own own sound and just both being great writers. Well, and Fiona has gone on to inspire so many artists that came after her. Right. Famously, Kanye West loves Fiona Apple and, and that's why John Bryan produced late registration because of his work on several of Fiona's albums. Mm-hmm. I think Solange has said that she is like number one in the Fiona Apple <laughs> fan club. So yeah, my favorite tracks, I really love the the opener, Sleep to Dream. Slow Like Honey is definitely one of my favorites. And then the closer, Carry On, I just really love the feel of. And I think that the, the outro is just fantastic on, on the last track. The uh, instrumental just sounds so full and rich. So, title comes out, sells 3 million copies, goes triple platinum. Fiona Apple becomes maybe a reluctant pop star. (laughs) You know, Criminal is a huge song. The video is huge. The acceptance speech she gives becomes infamous. From there, she takes a little bit of a break between, I think, 1999 is when When the Pawn comes out. Yep. In that time, she starts dating... Film director Paul Thomas Anderson, he had just become famous himself after his second film, Boogie Nights, is released. She's like a full, like, that's pop star shit, right? To date a, a, a male celebrity, and there's a very specific photo of them going to a film premiere, and he's wearing, like, a bucket hat, yep. and she's got, like, a spaghetti strap yeah. on. I think it was Out of Sight. Yes. Yeah. So, and in that time, Paul Thomas Anderson is working on Magnolia, which is still considered one of his best films. Fiona Apple is working on When the Pawn. John Bryan, who worked on Boogie Nights, is working on Magnolia. 
he did some some of the instrumentals on Tidal, now becomes the producer of When the Pawn. So, first and foremost, let's talk about the title of this album. <laughs> you want to you wanna give it a shot? I will. All right. I'm very excited Have about you practiced it. this at all? A little. <laughs> <laughs> so, When the Pawn is, it's got the ellipses at the end because it's short for... I think it's like an 84-word poem. In the wake of all of the criticism that Fiona experienced, she reads a, some reaction to a cover story in Spin Magazine. Some fans, I guess, wrote in and were harsh and said some things about her that were, were not nice. I don't remember what they were. But in reaction to further criticism, she writes this poem that becomes the title of her album and the poem goes like this when the pawn hits the conflicts he thinks like a king what he knows throws the blows when he goes to the fight and to win the whole thing for he enters the ring there's nobody to batter when your mind is your might so when you go solo you hold your own hand and remember the depth is the greatest of heights and if you know where you stand then you know where to land and if you fall it won't matter because you'll know you are right so that's the title of the album Sort of. The official <laughs> title is When the Pond dot dot dot. Was a Guinness Book of World Record breaker for longest album title? Yes. We did it. Most important thing about this album. What is your reaction to all those words? <laughs> I actually think it's really, really cool. I mean, the idea of having that as your album title is insane, right? But of like trying to totally promote that and all of, all of that. But I think it's fun. And it's, I mean, it. It feels like it fits right with her, uh, I guess, spirit. And like you were saying, going against the grain of the industry and stuff like that. Speaking of artists that Fiona has influenced, it's very Fallout Boy. I don't know how much Fallout Boy you've listened to, but especially in the, in like kind of the middle of their career, from Under the Cork Tree, which is one of my favorite mm-hmm. albums, they have so many songs that are like 10 to 12 words plus. Like yeah. titles like... Our lawyers made us change the name of this song so we wouldn't get sued. Um, I've got a dark alley and a bad idea that says you should shut your mouth. <laughs> I slept with someone in Fallout Boy and all I got was this stupid song written about me. That was a touchstone for me. I I love unnecessarily long titles for things. I think it's fun. I think the poem is, from what I've read, it was another point of criticism because <laughs> it seemed a little navel-gazy and a little self-righteous. Right, right. But I think it's cool. I think it it's it points to a lot of just, you know, very specifically many of the critics that didn't quite appreciate her were men. And I think that there is a lot of inherent sexism to the critiques that I've read and I think a big part of it was just n- people, a lot of them men, not being comfortable with a strong, smart, confident woman that is not afraid of utilizing her sexuality. Uh, and writing about it and taking ownership of it, right? And so what we'll find on on this album is her leaning even harder into... I mean, it it even says it in the last line of that poem, and if you fall, it won't matter because you'll know that you're right. Like, she she knows who she is, and I think she gets further and further throughout her career into leaning into herself, right? Like, that was the, the final message of that speech was go with yourself. So I think... We'll see a pattern as as we go through this discography of her just leaning further and further into that. And so, When the Pawn, it comes out. I think that 
a lot of the themes of this album are a little less explicitly sexual, although there's a lot of exploration of the kind of relationship and the dichotomy between men and women. Yeah, this whole, it's another 10 song album and just about every song is about uh, relationships. So, and it's important to note that you talked about John Bryan producing this. He would go on from this and produce late registration, co-produce songs on Frank Ocean's Blonde. He provides orchestral arrangements on Beyonce's Lemonade. He's also really well known for his work on scoring films like Eternal Sunshine and The Spotless Mind and Lady Bird and Synecdoche, New York. Most recently, he had co-produced Mac Miller's album Swimming. It was a 2018 release, right? Yes. Um, And then he finished up the production on the posthumous album Circles. By Mac Miller. And a lot of that doesn't happen without him producing this album, I think. I think I mentioned he worked with Paul Thomas Anderson on Boogie Nights and Magnolia around the same time of him producing this album. And I believe he produces her next album also. And uh, he gets the producer gig for Kanye West because Kanye loves Fiona Apple. Um, I think so much of his career, of his success, and Fiona's success have come from their collaboration. Yeah, and he he talks a little bit about their collaboration and kind of what he brings to the table. And I know um, he says that like a lot of these songs are pretty set in stone from a structure and lyrical standpoint. Like she came to him and was like, "Hey, I have all these songs. They're the way I want them. I want you to work your magic with them." And you can kind of tell. That's how how this sounds. It's like Fiona's still sounds just so unique and singular in her vocal delivery and her style and the way she writes these melodies and kind of switches her vocal style throughout. But John Bryan is just kind of a musical mastermind and <laughs> comes in and has all of these like really amazing arrangements and uh, embellishments and textural components to these tracks that I think make this album stand out on a production level above title. And you get that right off the bat with the opening track on the bound, right? thing I love about this album is I think the first three or four tracks remind me of they're a little trippy right especially on the bound is very grand when I think about the kind of cadence of the poem that when the pawn is derived from mm-hmm. it feels very Lewis Carroll very Alice in Wonderland and this first track on the bound just feels like we are kind of diving into maybe the psyche of Fiona Apple in a new way, in a way we didn't necessarily in title. 
Matt Chamberlain is on this album as well as the drummer and I think what he provides or as a drummer is amazing kind of all over the, the album that's one thing that definitely stuck out to me and immediately I think the drums sound awesome and I love the groove on this song and love the way the song kind of morphs there's like elements that remind me and this is kind of going along with the twisted kind of nature you were talking about of like Tom Waits like if Tom Waits went from the alley through the back door into like some twisted burlesque show or something absolutely <laughs> like I just feel like it has that theatrical nature I guess to it and it has this incredible swing like a lot of her tracks do I mean this and many other songs on this album sound like a James Bond song to me right mm-hmm. like it's like the like those opening title sequences and when you talk about the the instrumentals there are these crazy instrumental flourishes Like, it reminds me of any sort of dark take on going down the rabbit hole that you see in a movie. Even, like, The Matrix, where they follow the white rabbit, right? Yeah, she's very so thre- like, theatrical. Pounding on the keys at different moments. And uh, I just thought it was another, like, we talked about her intro to on title just coming out swinging on the album. It's another, like, feels like a very confident kind of first track and sounds like she had something to prove i mean it's the longest song on the album and it's the first track which i find interesting it's very theatrical and includes like some pretty wild woodwinds the old the old wild woodwinds you know speaking of kind of coming out the gate swinging uh one of my favorite songs on this album is called limp i mean really to me it just sounds like a big middle finger (laughs) to all of the critics specifically the largely male population of critics that were so exceedingly harsh, uh, specifically about her public persona and appearance, despite, in many respects, praising her music. Even the reviews of this album were mostly glowing in terms of the songs themselves, but there were still some backhanded (laughs) compliments and sexism even in the reviews of this album. But even just the chorus, right? When I think of it, my fingers turn to fists. I never did anything to you. I mean, it's very much just like, what did I do? (laughs) (laughs) When I think of it, my fingers turn to fist. I never did anything to you, man. No matter what I try, you beat me with your bitter lies. So call me crazy, hold me down, make me cry. Get off now, baby. It won't be long till you be lying limp in your own hands. It won't be long till you be lying limp in your own hands. So uh, direct and biting, and the way she delivers that is so great. I mean, I love the lyrics and again the drumming, but the um, her delivery and cadence is just like impeccable on this song, and especially in the the chorus, I just feel like it feels so alive. And this is another one of my my favorite songs on on this album. So, in addition to being kind of a, a, a lyrical genius, her mastery of unusual cadences. Her delivery is really astounding, and it, you know, when you talk about her influencing later artists, I, I mean, I definitely feel like Frank Ocean pulls a lot from the way Fiona delivers 
music in an unusual way because I think he does the same thing. I agree. I think or one thing that I noticed going through a lot of these songs and like the looking at the lyrics is like if someone put these lyrics in front of me and asked me to sing these songs, it would sound so incredibly different from how she <laughs> how she delivers them, you know? Like if you didn't know how she was singing these, her yeah, just cadence and delivery is so unique that I think if you were to give give people these songs they would sing them entirely differently if they were solely going off just the the lyrics which I think is super cool you know I'm actually really glad that I came to this music at this time in my life because I imagine had I tried to get into Fiona Apple when I was in my early 20s and had a little bit of toxic masculinity in me and was a little less woke and a little less empathetic I think I would have rejected a lot of it. And I think it's because of that directness, right? Like, there is definitely something about her persona, her brazen, brash confidence that I think is threatening specifically to men who are not comfortable with strong women, like I once was. (laughs) I feel like I understand the thought process behind the criticism, and I don't agree with it, but I think a younger me might have judged harshly yeah and so i'm just so glad i'm so glad to be listening to this music now as someone who has grown i (laughs) guess (laughs) yeah it's really cool coming like i imagine like if this album came out today i still would find it just as fascinating and like it sounds so different from i mean that's that's the timelessness of it right like uh, that it it's not tied to trends or a specific genre so if it came out today i would still be one of my favorite albums of the year if I heard these songs. I don't know. I think going to one of the, another big song on the album is track number five titled Paper Bag. And it's like the, it was the third and final single on the record. I feel like I could just play this song over and over again. The opening verse, you know, she's so great with lyrics, but often it is more poetry. And this opening verse really kind of rides the line between poetry and prose, right? She's telling a story. I was staring at the sky just looking for a star to pray on or wish on or something like that i was having a sweet fix of a daydream of a boy whose reality i knew was a hopeless to be had but then the dove of hope began its downward slope and i believed for a moment that my chances were approaching to be grand but as it came Fiona's so dynamic vocally and again her delivery just shines here the way that the piano kind of interplays with the bass on this track I think is just really really interesting and then the melody is amazing I love this track I think it's one of your favorites as well right yeah I love a song that is kind of bright and happy in tone but these lyrics are dark I mean you know it is it is not a happy song I always love kind of the the contradiction of that style of songwriting (laughs) 
even the wit of there's a line in the second verse that goes she said it's all in your head I said so's everything but he didn't get it like, <laughs> he said it's all in your head and I said so's everything but he didn't get it that's something only she would write <laughs> the chorus on this song is hunger hurts and I want him so bad oh it kills and I want him so bad oh it kills cause I know I got to fold because these hands are too shaky to hold. And just kind of like the, the double entendre of that line is, I think, super clever. Just an awesome, awesome chorus. And again, just an, another amazing arrangement. And I think the horns in the song are so perfectly placed. And they come in even stronger around the three minute, 10 second mark. When it comes, too much to love. A friend of mine, uh, Sarah Popkin, uh, responded to our Instagram question about uh, favorite Fiona songs, and she actually wrote in Paper Bag. She says that her lyrics paired with her deep, low tones scare her in a good way. <laughs> and I totally get it. In the best way. I think Fast As You Can is a really unique song and you want to talk about drums yeah with the piano too and the bass all together i love this song so much it feels like you're you're running right it has this kind of like momentum to the song and it feels urgent but then it goes into this like absolutely beautiful bridge sometimes my mind don't shake and shift but most of the time it does like shifts in tone and it, that kind of stopped me in my tracks this was the first happy tears moment on the album for me i just think the the bridge is so beautiful but the shift is really what kind of catches you off guard from the kind of uh propulsive nature of the first part of this track to this kind of like kind of expansive bridge that's sung beautifully and i love this song but the the bridge in particular i think is really really special because her voice gets like really pretty during the bridge too that's just something she's so fantastic at is just going from kind of these uglier vocal tones and then shifting to something really soft she just seems to have such a sense of theatricality and drama like any good artist she's just so good at like kind of manipulating you she like wraps the listener around her finger right and just dangles you <laughs> however she you know she's either bouncing you around or swaying you softly and sweetly <laughs> yeah absolutely and i like that reminds me a lot of like what jeff buckley would do and how you feel like everything he says it was just so evocative the way he expressed even just different words or lines or whatever that made you feel kind of like 
what was behind each one of those words in a way like musically or the way he delivered it, but the tone of his voice, he would often get kind of like these kind of an ugliness to his voice that he wasn't afraid to do in on the, the parts of the songs that they called for that. And I feel like Fiona does the same thing really effectively. So the Reddit user blissful yonder in response to our question about lyrics or songs that they love highlighted the song get gone they said it was an amazing breakup song possibly one of the greatest of all time in their opinion because i do know what's good for me and i've done what i could for you but you're not benefiting and yet i'm sitting This is another example of a a song that I thought was pretty good, but just someone going to bat for it made me go back and kind of reconsider it more deeply, and it's it's a good one. Yeah, I really love the way she sings the second verse on this song. How many times can it escalate till it elevates to a place I can't breathe? How many times can it escalate? Till it elevates to a place I can't breathe And I must decide If you must arrive Then I'm much obliged To up and go And the way she sings decide And deride and obliged uh, With that vibrato Is really great And then the last line of the verse goes right into this really strong and changes the vibe completely again. I absolutely love this album. I feel like it's super expressive. There's just like really unique and interesting chord progressions all over the place on here. I think the mix is great and what John Bryan did, I think just elevates it. The final track on the album is another one I really love and we there's a really great live video of this song titled I Know. The video's on YouTube, it's live at Largo and another incredible closer. Like I love how both of these albums, I really love the intro song and the closer. And I think both of those are really important. So I always appreciate when an album has a really great opener and closer. This track is one that another one where my, my second Happy Tears moment came in on. Again, just a beautiful track. The lyrics are incredible and it just sounds like so intimate. Yeah, I, man, I just love a sad piano ballad you know like there's some strings subtly in the background supporting but this is really just a girl and her piano singing a sad song don't know of your sins until you are ready to confess but all the time all the time Yeah, the line, and you can use my skin to bury secrets in, is fantastic. Absolutely. And, you know, talking about my Happy Tears moment from the week with Chadwick Boseman and the 
Black Lives Matter march, and I know that that line, you can use my skin to bury secrets in, has nothing to do with probably black people or the Black Lives Matter struggle, right? But but it was something that, that struck me because it was at the same time that I was diving into this album, and it, it, it just... Um, it was probably my big happy tears moment of, of just, you know. It's such a beautiful line that is so simple, and it, and it doesn't mean that much, but it also means, can mean so much. Something in the way she delivers it, it's just so yeah, quietly desperate. I, I like the, the use of imagery in this song a lot. Of the, Again, first line of the song is, so be it, I'm your crowbar if that's what I am so far until you get out of this mess. Like just the imagery of a crowbar and and what it's used for and used as a metaphor for getting out of a mess. This is going into something hyper-specific, but I love the way she says door, or like the way she delivers that word. On It's like three minutes, and around three minutes and 28 seconds into the song. But if you go to like th- 320 or something. Yeah, man. It's so meek. closed your curtain, by the backstage door. Another thing that I think is just so smart is she ends these verses with I'll know, I'll know. And instead of ending the last verse with I'll know, like it seems like it's supposed to be there. She just leaves it out. And so it's like, and if it gets too late. If it gets too late for me to And then it just goes into this like instrumental outro. Doesn't resolve. Yeah, I'll know fits there, but her saying it's okay, don't need to say it. It's a perfect way to end the album. I feel like. Well, that is all we're covering today. Next week we will cover albums three, four, and five of her discography. Those are Extraordinary Machine, The Idler Wheel, and Fetch the Bolt Cutters. Don't you mean the idler wheel is wiser than the driver of the screw and whipping cords will serve you more than the ropes will ever do? That's exactly what I meant. <laughs> I love long titles. Um, Brendan, before we go, uh, do you have anything you'd like to recommend to the people out there? Yeah, so an artist that I really love named Olafur Arnolds, an Icelandic artist, has a new album coming out, but he released a song called We Contain Multitudes, and there's a really great just live video of it. If you need a 
a song that will help you decompress and relax. Just take a few deep breaths, close your eyes and listen to We Contain Multitudes. It's a really beautiful, calming um, song. And I'm really looking forward to his new album. His last one he put out was one of my favorites of that year. So um, I'm really looking forward to it. And everyone could use a little peaceful song in their lives. So that's what I'm recommending. How about you, Nick? So in honor of Chadwick Boseman, I figure the most appropriate recommendation, despite the Black Panther being you know such a symbol and his earlier movies like 42 and Get On Up being really good, his most recent film, Spike Lee's The Five Bloods, is also really good. It's very long, but it's worth it. And Chadwick Boseman plays a Vietnam War soldier named Stormin' Norman Holloway. And the film is about a group of black Vietnam War veterans that go back to Vietnam in the year, I think, 2018 or 2019 to find, like, buried treasure that they had found back during the Vietnam War. Um, Stormin' Norman, played by Bozeman, is the only member of their squad that did not make it out of Vietnam. And there are a number of flashbacks and also some, like, hallucinations and visions that all feature Storm and Norman, and they just hit so different now that Chadwick is gone. So um, I'm going to try to watch it in the next week and see if I can handle it emotionally because it's definitely going to hit and hit hard. But um, it's a really good movie, and, and uh, it's the way I'm going to choose to celebrate the great Chadwick Boseman. So with that, rest in peace, King T'Challa. Rest in peace, Justin Towns Earl. And rest in peace, Riley Gale. Thank you for listening to Happy Tears. Happy Tears is produced by Nick Melita and Brandon Henry. You can find more information as well as this episode's show notes at happytearspod.com. You can follow us on Twitter at happytearspod. You can follow us on Instagram at happytearspodcast. And you can like our Facebook page, Happy Tears Podcast. And you can leave us a review at Apple Podcasts. That helps us find new listeners, and we love new listeners. Love them. So if you're a new listener, thanks for being here. We love you. Brandon, what else? Uh, Our original theme music is by Homage. You can find his music at youtube.com slash homagebeats or on Instagram at homagebeats. We've also got a little Spotify playlist called Happy Tears Mixtape that I think you will love. So go give that a listen. We also compiled a nice little playlist called Happy Tears uh, that has some songs from the first half of the year that we love. So also give that a follow. Next week on the podcast, part two of our Fiona Apple deep dive. So stay tuned. Farewell.